National parks have everything you could want. Hiking, fishing, camping, and all the outdoor beauty and wonder. But what about the dark side of these awesome locations? Join us around the campfire as we share stories about the strange and unusual disappearances that have happened and the theories around what could be going on. This is Two Girls in a Campfire, and I'm Allison. And I'm Sarah. And today we are talking about national parks. I'm so excited. So it's the middle of July, and I imagine everybody's out on vacation. I'm not because I still have to work. But I heard there's been a crazy spike in national park visitors recently because I guess post COVID, everyone's like, let's go. Definitely feels like the move and wanting to get out of their regular environments. So. Right. Everyone that was put off work and got stuck in their house for a year. Now they're like, we need to be outside. That makes sense. I want to be outside, but there is a, there's too many people. (laughs) Yeah. So the national park I'm talking about today is Zion. And I was looking at their Facebook page and they were saying that the other day they had like a two hour wait to get on the shuttle and they were like running out of parking spots. (laughs) That's crazy to me. Like when you think about the size of a national park, it's huge. Yeah. But especially with Zion, um, apparently like a lot of the trailheads and things are like out. So if you try and park at the visitor center, that's where everybody parks. And then they take shuttles to like the different areas. Okay. And Zion National Park, that is in Utah, right? Yes. It looks awesome. I want to go. I've never been there. Ooh, maybe we'll have to plan a road trip. Ooh, that would be awesome. What national park are you talking about today? I am going to be talking about uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, specifically here in Colorado. Awesome. Uh, well, it's I think it's your turn to go first, so tell us your story. Okay, great. So today I am talking about the disappearance of Alfred Beelhart's And he was a young boy who vanished in 1938 at the Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado, just outside of the Estes Park area. And I love this because I used to live in Estes Park. It's one of my favorite places here in Colorado. And I, before I started doing some research, I didn't know anything about this story. So I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited to hear it. So in 1938, Alfred goes with his family um, into the mountains on a little vacation holiday. It was 4th of July weekend, which we just recently celebrated. And they were going to go into the park and go fishing and hiking. And this was kind of a family tradition. Did you tell me how old he was? I did not. He was uh, about three or four years old when he disappeared. Okay. So they, the family had all gone into kind of the town of Estes Park to go fishing. He was on a trail that ran behind the creek where they were fishing. And he kind of got behind everybody that was ahead of him and he vanished. This all happened in just a matter of minutes. The parents are kind of walking ahead of him. Suddenly they don't hear him anymore. They, you know, turn around. He's not there. That would be so scary. Oh my gosh. I don't have children, but I imagine, yeah, anybody, if you turn around and suddenly they're not there, right? And especially as a parent, you'd be like, wait, where'd you go? (laughs) 
right? Or like you said, anybody, even like a friend of yours, it would be nuts. Exactly. So they they figure he's gone very far. He's a little kid. He's three, four years old. And they just saw him a few minutes beforehand. So they start doing their own search. They're looking around the area. They're checking the trail. And they don't have any luck in finding him. So they end up calling in the park rangers. The park rangers show up and their assumption is that he has fallen into the creek and that he's drowned. They are doing a big land search for this little boy. And then they are also dragging the creek. They ended up doing some different blockages so that if anything were to come down, they were going to be able to catch it. Nothing ever came down through the blockages. And eventually on these creeks, there are points where it kind of meets into the bigger river. At this point in time in the 30s, they had a bunch of dams kind of set up for different water irrigation. He never, they never found his body at any of the spots, any of the locations. They determined pretty early on that he hadn't drowned. So this happens on July 3rd that he goes missing. During the time that the parents are freaking out, kind of looking for Alfred, the same day, July 3rd, there is a couple that are hiking in a different part of the park. And they get to a point called Devil's Nest, and it's on Mount Chapin. They were walking along the Old Falls Road, which is a pretty heavily traveled hiking road at this point in time. And they hadn't seen anything, hadn't seen anything. And then suddenly they came out into this clearing and they see a boy at the ledge of this cliff area called the Devil's Nest. And they said the boy was acting very strange and he made this loud, shrill noise, walked to the edge of the cliff area of the overhang. And at that point, their eyewitness account says that he disappeared. They they just were like, oh, there's a kid. Okay, bye. Or do they like, did they freak out that he disappeared? Well, I think what they ended up doing was hiking down over to that area to check. Oh, because they were up further up. Right. So they weren't able to see exactly what happened if he like fell off the ledge, if he kind of walked into the bush. They weren't really sure. So they did end up hiking down over into that area. Didn't see anything. So they this couple ends up walking back to their car. They are in the car and they turn on the radio and they hear all of the reports coming in about this little boy being missing. So they actually hiked back into the park to find a park ranger and let them know what they saw. Park rangers really don't take it seriously. They figure there's no way that the little boy could have gotten that far away from where he initially disappeared from, especially being so young. You're on this high cliff edge. So even though they didn't take it super seriously, they still ended up sending about 150 uh, rescue hikers out there to check the area and they didn't find anything. So a couple of tidbits about this case is that the search lasted 10 days. And this was a pretty big search in that time period. There were a lot of people involved. They brought out bloodhounds, follow the the scent, follow the trail. um, And they didn't really get anywhere with that. Some of the dogs did lead them to the edge of the water. But then 
some other of the dogs led them the complete opposite direction up mountain. So that was completely inconclusive. The police did announce that they found a bandage in an abandoned cabin and that they were going to test it. Now remember, this is 1938. So I'm not really sure what kind of testing they were going to be doing at that time. Like blood type or something basic. Right, probably. So they said that they were going to test it because the mother had said that uh, Alfred had hurt his foot earlier and she had wrapped it in a similar bandage. Nothing ever came of that. All of the reports that I could find, there was never any follow-up. There was never any additional newspaper reporting around it. And I couldn't find anything from the current day internet sleuths. There didn't really seem to be any additional information about where that may or may not have gone. About five months later in November, the family received a ransom note telling the family, the boy doesn't take to us. We will return him within 24 hours if you leave $500 in a can at the corner of your block. And so at the time, like $500, I think it would come out to be about $10,000 in today's money. The family goes to the police with this. The police go ahead and determine that it's just a hoax. This has been a big national story for months and months. And they said that they were not going to pursue the ransom note under the, uh, that they had suspects that they were questioning about sending the ransom note, basically just trying to extort the family. Yeah, they just pulled that opportunity and were like, hey, give us some of your money. Right. So even though the police determined that it was a hoax, the father, Alfred's father, still believed that he was abducted and that he was alive. There was just one report where the father had mentioned that he would have been willing to deal with the hostage situation had they been allowed. But again, this is 1938, so there wasn't a lot of follow-up. There wasn't any additional police reports around the suspects. The suspects of the extortion suspects were never named. There was never any additional uh, reporting around if they continued to follow up on any leads. This just kind of, the Alfred disappeared, and then a couple months later, the whole case just kind of died out. And I imagine like park rangers or even the police were just like, you were in the middle of the woods. He probably got eaten or whatever, some natural cause. And there had been a, uh, there had been one sighting. I do want to bring this up. There had been one sighting a couple weeks later. A Nebraska woman said that she had seen Alfred walking along the roadside with a man when she was driving back, you know, through the national park to Nebraska. And again, this was reported to the police at the time, but no investigative follow-up. So yeah, so that is the disappearance of Alfred Beelharts in 1938. It is crazy, though, that they never found, like, clothing or bones or any, any sign of him. So I would personally imagine that it would have been a kidnapping of some sort. You'd think that it found something if he had died in the park. You would think that, but also who is kidnapping children just mere yards away from their parents? The kid doesn't yell out, you know, like they didn't hear anything. And again, it's just, it's just minutes. It's just minutes between when they noticed him missing to starting to kind of look in the area for him. And 
Yeah, that's the thing, too, because if, yeah, if you're in the woods, like, you kind of know how close people are to you. I don't know. Maybe I'm not very quiet in the woods. I'm sure there are people that are (laughs) much, you know, stealthier. But for me, even that just seems really unexplainable that somebody would be able to abduct a small child in that environment so quietly and be able to get away without any anybody noticing or hearing. So it would have, you know, like what he just randomly was following them for the chance that he might get an opportunity. Like it doesn't really make any sense either. Well, there are quite a few theories about what might be going on in our national parks back then and even even in current times. So I think we're going to talk about some of those theories after you tell us your story. Yes, we are. Okay, so like I said, my story is in Zion National Park. It is the disappearance of Holly Portier. She was a 38-year-old woman from California. This happened in October of 2020. She had been a nanny for a couple and took care of their kids. Her kids were grown and she got let go because of COVID. The parents stopped working, so she didn't have a job. And so she decided that she wanted to go to Zion and have some spiritual journey with nature and just get away. Yeah, that sounds nice. So on October 2nd, her daughter and her went to Zion National Park and her mom took off for her camping trip. Wait, hold on. The mom and the daughter went together, but then the mom went off on her own. Yeah, so the daughter like drove her and dropped her off in the park. Okay. But the weird thing was, apparently she's a free spirit, is what her daughter called her. She's always like going off and going different places. And a few weeks before, she had been at home in California. But then weirdly, in the middle of the night, she up and left Rock for Utah. And she didn't bring her cell phone with her. She left it at home. Um, Her daughter said she was having a mental breakdown and she just wanted to be alone and go hang out. She took the shuttle. uh, Like I said, in Zion National Park, you take the shuttles to the trailheads. So she went to the grotto area on October 6th and at 1.30. And that was the last time anybody saw her. So she was wearing a hat, a tank top, a jacket, her hiking boots, and then she had a backpack and a sweatshirt and a blanket and her hammock. The only reason they knew that she was in Zion was because she used her credit card to pay her entrance fee into the park. Her daughter said in another like super weird kind of turn of events, she had started a food fast because she was starting her spiritual journey. So she hadn't eaten for a few days before she went, which is super weird. Like if you're going to go hike a national park, like I've imagine you do the opposite, you know, you'd want to be strong. Right. When you were listing off what she went into the park with, I didn't hear you say anything about water. No. She didn't have like a water bottle with her. No. So they end up finding her two weeks later. She was supposed to get picked up that afternoon from the shuttle. So you have like a day pass and she didn't. So then two days later, they reported her missing. So they start this huge search of the area. They've got dogs and helicopters and drone flights. They went to all the places you could get from that grotto trailhead, but they couldn't see her or find her at all. So then about 12 days later, a visitor reported seeing a small human 
in a hammock. They went to that area and they found her. She was barely a mile away from the grotto. It's kind of weird that she was in almost the most heavily used portion of the trail. How did nobody see her? Wait, when they found her, she was alive? Yeah, she's alive. Um, She said that she had went to lay in her hammock and hit her head on a tree, which what the hell are you doing in the woods if you don't know how to use a hammock and you hit your head on the tree, but other story. And so she said she had hit her head and then she hurt her foot somehow too. So she was too disoriented to be able to find her way back. Okay. Then, like you said, she doesn't have any water. She's got very little food. So she says that she stayed by this river because she knew that she needed the water. Well, the problem is the river she was at is called the Virgin River. And the park is aware they have issues with a cyanobacteria. It's kind of like algae and it's actually bacteria, but it grows in the water. If you drink this water, it has super toxic properties and it also affects uh, your nervous system and your liver. So they said that if she had been out there for those two weeks drinking this river water, she would have she would have died. And the reason they knew the water was toxic was another camper had a dog and the dog had been splashing around in the water and he got sick and died. So there are big signs up all over the park about don't drink from the water, don't drink from this river, don't even like touch it, like stay away from it. That's like kind of the first like weird inconsistency with her story. Later, she would go on to say that she would just put the water in her mouth and swish it around and spit it out. But even then, like, you're going to get, you're going to end up swallowing at least some of that water. Plus, that's not going to rehydrate you if you're not actually drinking it. Well, yeah, and, like, that's not how bacteria works. You don't really have to swallow it, right? Like, I mean. (laughs) Well, and if you're injured and disoriented, you're going to tell me that in the woods you don't have a cut on your hands? How are you scooping water out of the river? Well, yeah, and it, If the dog was just splashing around and died. Exactly. It's kind of weird. And like I said, she was like right there off this trail. Her family had been in the park searching for her for those weeks. So when they rescued her, they didn't pack her up in an ambulance and send her to the hospital. She went with her daughter and they supposedly drove her to the hospital. Okay, hold on. That's so strange. Right? You're missing for two weeks. You They send out these search and rescue teams and then they find you and are just like okay have a nice day well and she hit her head right so theoretically she'd have a concussion she said she hurt her foot so she couldn't walk back so when they found her they said she walked just fine with them out of that trail down to the parking lot or whatever And like I said, they didn't put her on an ambulance and her family says they took her to the hospital and she was severely dehydrated. She had a concussion. She was having kidney issues, probably related to being um, dehydrated. And she was severely emaciated. Like I said, she started that fast days before she went to the before she went to the national park so people wonder if her looking emaciated was from her not eating beforehand it's like i said that's kind of super sketchy right while she was missing her daughter had started a gofundme and she said the gofundme was going to be for hiring search and rescue people and feeding volunteers and things like that like expenses in the search of her mom then they find her mom and she hadn't 
hadn't touched any of that money. So then the mom gets a $15,000 payout from GoFundMe because that's how much money they had raised. So then people wonder if it was all a ploy to go and do that and start a GoFundMe and just make money off of it. It's really weird. And then, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but the national parks don't keep track of missing persons. So they say since they are a national park, they're like their own entity. So they investigate all their missing persons and they do their own reports and things. Back in March of this year, they released a report about finding her and what happened and that was through the freedom of information act but it was so redacted that literally the only new information that came out of that whole paper was that had spent sixty thousand dollars to look for her it was 136 pages the rest of the report was redacted yeah So 136 pages and literally really the only thing they could get out of it was how much they spent. There was a map included that had like documented where they found her. They blacked out all of that. There's search logs in there that they blocked out all of that. So it's just one of those really weird things. So like I said, you found her right off this popular trail and then you get this weird report from them that says nothing. Doesn't it seem that if you're going to obtain information through the Freedom of Information Act that they should give you the information. (laughs) Right? And not just a bunch of papers that have been blacked out. Exactly. Because because why? Why are you blacking out search and rescue information? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, like the map. Like we all pretty much know where she was. There was volunteers there that went searching. So why wouldn't you let us know exactly where you were? Very strange. So were you able to find any additional kind of follow-up information? I know that this happened pretty recently, but where is where is she now? She's back home in California. Apparently her and her family have gotten so much hate on the internet that they like took down all their social media stuff. They had to change their cell phone numbers. They were very upset about the reaction they got. And I read, and this was still back in March of this year, that with all of the the rumors flying around that the family said, well, you can go to GoFundMe and request a refund and we'll give you that money back. But nobody went and requested it. And I was like, well, GoFundMe only lasts for so long, right? Like you have like a month to raise the funds or whatever. So like you cash that shit out in October. I don't understand how you could even go and file a refund. But even if it was a super easy thing to do you said nobody even requested one that's interesting to me i feel like if i had given money the story doesn't make sense right i would totally be like give me my 20 bucks back. exactly and then like i said since the national park is like an entity onto itself they have to invite like the the sheriff's department and stuff to come help with the search and during the investigation well, right after they found her while they were kind of investigating, you know, what really went on, the sheriff was like, even if she just put that water in her mouth, like she would have died. And so then the National Parks get mad at him because... And they point out he wasn't even an investigator. We were investigating it on ourselves. So this is just him making comments in like a weird another kind of trying to cover it up. So that, so I think that this is a great segue to talk about, there are some wild theories out there about national parks and 
what's going on. And these disappearances have really started to raise some questions. There's a whole community of people just really dedicated to the disappearances that happen in national parks. And, you know, there's one gentleman who used to be a police investigator. He is also, after he retired from the investigation force, he became a cryptozoologist. And his name is David, uh, David Pollades. And he is really deep in the belief that these are Bigfoot disappearances, that Bigfoot comes, you know, basically abducts people. And so that's one theory <laughs> of like the disappearances when something happens and you and there's no trace of them. Yeah. And that's super interesting. I had been looking up a different story before I picked this one. And I think he was like 18 or 20, like a younger guy. And he went to a national park and he was going to ride his bike on the trails and stuff. He disappears. They find no trace of him. They find his bike and like a tent or something, but it looks fine. It's not like trampled or anything. It was like a year later and like, you know, everybody's kind of given up. We don't have the kind of funds to keep searching for people. And so his dad, he was like a contractor. So he like sold off his business, his house, cashed out everything. And he goes to this national park to go find his son. And he teams up with a group of people who had... I can't remember what the acronym was, and it was kind of funny. I'll have to post it on the website when I find it again. But it was like the people's group of Bigfoot hunters or something. And so since they were all so involved in like Bigfoot, they knew the area really well. And so they went out with him to search and they actually ended up finding his son's remains like 18 months later. Oh, wow. But they weren't able to determine cause of death. They were there. Yeah. So like, it's like a big mystery, but I, I had read that and I thought it was interesting that, you know, that they went to Bigfoot hunters and they were the, they know the most about the outdoors and that area and they're, you know, experienced hikers and mountaineers. And I just thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. People that really, that can, that can buy into that, you know, or, or really believe that that could be a thing. So that's one theory Another theory that I read about is that these, especially when children are involved, because it seems to be small children that go disappear, that, you know, disappear without a trace kind of into thin air, that the national parks are actually big into these like energy portals that take them to, you know, either a different realm or um, kind of Bermuda Triangle-y that there's these just energy holes, these portals that people kind of wander into. Well, I just heard it on the news the last couple of days, but down off of the Bahamas, I think it was, so kind of Bermuda Triangle area, they found a boat with 20 dead people on it. And the thought was they were, you know, immigrants or something trying to come to the U.S. Oh, wow. But at least the last that I heard, I'll have to go and look it up again, but there wasn't like obvious cause of death. So you just have this boat with all these bodies on it that nobody knows how they died. So crazy. That's, that's, I mean, you just never know. And then also before I picked this story, I had looked into one in Hawaii and they were talking about like ley lines and how the energy there causes all these weird disturbances too kind of like the same energy that they think is in the Bermuda Triangle right you never know what's going on I also read another theory is that national parks are these big kind of 
you know, these unfortunate people kind of wander into these scenarios where they're abducted by the government and uh, experiments are performed on them. And then either, you know, obviously they've been abducted by the government, so you don't find them, or maybe, you know, you do find them later. Like you said, they found these, this guy's remains 18 months later. So that seems a little far-fetched that there's these like, you know, underground secretive operation layers run by the government but I guess anything's possible right and I um this was a while ago maybe a year or two but there was like a meme going around and it was like a picture of the U.S. and where they had like all these supposed like missing persons cases it like matched up with I think they did they said it was like caves so like where all these missing persons were, it like lined up with like all these like natural caves. But then at the same time, somebody had posted, but that's also like all national park land. So, you know, if it's from missing and getting disappeared in a cave or just in the woods, like all of those areas are outside and are, you know, wild lands. So like you said, nobody really knows what's going on. And something else I read was the National Park Service says they don't keep track of how many missing persons they have reported to them in their parks, which I was like, the government, we like make lists of everything. How do you not have a list of how many people at the very least, if not like literally their names and date of birth and all their information? Exactly. That seems like that of everything seems most suspect. And that investigator, David Pollades, he runs either it's an organization that's called Missing 411. I know he's written books and there's, I believe, a TV show or a movie that he produced kind of around these disappearances, these strange phenomenon. But he had requested a list of missing persons a couple years ago. I believe it was from Yosemite, Yosemite National Park. And they told him that they didn't have anything like that. And that if they wanted him to compile something like that, it was going to cost upwards of, you know, $30,000. I was going to say, I think I read something that they said they wanted like 65 grand. And they were like, yeah, if you give us this money, we'll like make a list up for you. Right. Which again, I don't understand. Cause like we have missing person websites. Like we know people who are missing in the whole country, but we don't know what happens in these parks. Yeah. It's all very suspect. You would think that somebody requesting something like that could come through like the freedom of information act, but they just keep maintaining that they don't have something like that. It doesn't even exist. And that the manpower to put something like that together just costs so much money. I think the total bill for all of the national parks in the United States for this gentleman to receive a list would be $1.4 million. But yeah, and that's the thing, like I could see maybe not having a national list, like that might be kind of extreme, but every park should have one. You should be trying to find these people, right? Especially if you're not inviting the FBI or whoever to come and investigate, somebody needs to do it. Right. It is interesting that they do get to operate as their own entities and not really have to collaborate with any additional law enforcement like the FBI that that does handle a lot of the more, I guess we'll call them urban disappearances since they're not happening out in the wildlife. Right. 
Well, I did see there was, I, I was looking at all these cases, but um, somebody had been murdered in a national park. And then in that case, they do have the FBI come in and the FBI covers it because it's national land instead of whatever like state they're in or county. So they have the actual FBI come and do the, the uh, investigating. which makes sense but at the same time you're like well then why aren't they doing these missing persons because the fbi has a missing persons division it's just it's very suspect like you said well i think the moral of the story this week is if you are in a national park stay with the group (laughs) right or like my favorite murder says, stay out of the fucking forest. Yeah, that too. One of the two. Yeah, I mean, it's 2021, right? Like we are the people of Zoom meetings and fast food delivery. We don't need to be in the park. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to um, a couple other podcasts that I listen to. One is National Park After Dark, and they do all kinds of different things, kind of like us. So some of their episodes are aliens or murder or disappearances. And then another podcast I listen to is called Park Predators, and she does more of the true crime in the national parks, but they're both very, very interesting to me. I like them, so you should check them out. Yeah, check those out. We'll put links to their websites. It's important to support other content creators, so go check them out. And while you're out there, rate, review, and subscribe for us. That's always really helpful. You can find us on social media at the number two girls in a campfire. You can check out our website. We'll be posting show notes and some pictures and a little bit bonus content. So if you want to go read that and check it out, it'll be up there for you. Well, this has been an awesome episode. I loved all the research that we had to do around parks. I learned so much about our national parks that I didn't know before. Awesome. What are we talking about next week, Allison? Our topic next week is going to be best friends. (gasps) So I'm really curious to see what you come up with. So maybe like a pack of best friends gets abducted by aliens or I don't know, maybe best friends that commit murder. It should be really exciting. I feel like best friends always get into the best trouble (laughs) definitely all right well thanks for listening guys we'll We'll see see you around around the campfire. campfire bye